Hey everyone, and welcome to the Special Story Podcast. I'm Sharon, and this is where we just talk about our lives raising kids with special needs. Typically, Steve would be on here too, but he is actually out of town for work this week, so it's just going to be me hanging out. Um, it's about 6 a.m., and I've got a cup of coffee next to me, and it's snowing really hard outside, so I figure I'm just going to hang out, chat, drink my coffee, and you know what? Anyone who wants to is welcome to join me. <laughs> So as an update from last week, we are all still recovering from the flu. Um, You can probably hear there's still a little bit of scratchiness in my voice, but I think mostly at this point I'm over it. I will say that I was really surprised by kind of just how long it took for us to actually like get over it. Like we, we kind of had the fever for a few days. I think I expected like, you know, kind of like with any other stomach bug that once the fever broke, that that was kind of it. Like historically in the past when you get stomach bugs, it's like, they kind of come and go pretty quick. So once once you're done with it, then you feel fine. Um, but I found with the flu that basically what happened was that the fe- our, you know, everybody ended their fever and then we were all exhausted for, for probably a full week. At one point, I actually texted my sister, Michelle, who had also had it. And I was like, man, is are you feeling as tired as I'm feeling? Because this feels to me like it is not normal. And she was like, oh, no, we are also so tired. So I feel like it's just been a good week of recovery where, I mean, both kids have been going to bed super early. My other sister, Rachel, was over on Sunday and it was like 7.15 when we walked into the house and she was like, where is everyone? I was like, oh, everybody's in bed sleeping. (laughs) But that's just kind of how this whole week has been. Like, I feel like, so like last night I was actually in the process of putting Lulu to bed and Max actually came to me and said, hey, mom, I'm really tired. Can I go to bed? And and I I don't know if this has ever happened before, prior to the flu, to the great flu of 2019. But he was just really tired. And so, you know, typically when he goes to bed, he he tosses and turns for a while. I mean, we deal with a lot of the water requests. You all know what I mean. Oh, I need water. I see something scary. You know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we, we, we deal with a lot of that. But I'm telling you, the past week or so, you know, he's been putting himself to bed. And last night, literally, it was 6.15, and I went in to check on him after I put Lulu down, and he was already in bed asleep. And again, this is just, this is completely abnormal behavior for Max. But it was his first day back at school, so I do think that probably made him extra tired. But in some ways, I feel like we kind of timed the flu well, because we had it last week. We had some teacher and service days, so he actually ended up missing less school than he would have normally. And now, like I said, it's snowing like crazy outside. So school's already canceled for today, and we're expecting it to be canceled for tomorrow. We live in the Virginia area, and we often get winter storms in February. But I think this is going to be kind of a uh, a crazy one because they're expecting like three to six inches of snow, which is is which is a lot for us. Um, but then I think on Friday it's going to be fifty degrees, and it's all going to melt. So eh, there you go. Another reason that I'm actually glad that we didn't get the flu this week and then we got it like a couple weeks ago is that I actually finally took Lulu in for her hearing test this week. So we went over there yesterday and for kids who have Down syndrome, it's recommended that you get your hearing screened. I I, they actually had to look it up before I started this podcast because I couldn't remember what exactly the norm was. But I think they say that you're supposed to start it at like six months or maybe you start it a year and you do it every year. But I mean, either way, I mean, it's supposed to be within the first year of life and then you're supposed to do the hearing screening annually. And basically it's like, you know, they're first of all, they're checking their hearing, but they're also checking to make sure that there's no issues with the inner ear. Kids with Down syndrome are at higher risk 
for stuff like that where they because they're um i think their the tubes in their ears are a little bit narrower um so this can cause infection she was telling me yesterday that sometimes like they do look for like early onset hearing loss because that's that's also more common in kids with down syndrome so there are some like serious medical issues that they are screening for um but i i've kind of been a little bit out of it <laughs> With stuff like that, I kind of feel like the way that I've approached Lulu and her medical needs is that I've done all the things that were in crisis in the moment. So if she's having seizures, that gets addressed right away. If she's having heart issues, those get addressed right away. But all this other stuff where they're just screening for things that could go wrong, I will admit that I've kind of let those slide. But you know, in some ways, I feel like that's just that's just the real, like, I mean, that's, that's kind of what makes us all human. Like, I don't know what else I really could have done. I mean, I mean, in fairness, I, I could have actually been more on top of this. Like, I, I, I do know moms that I feel like they have their stuff together and they get all their stuff done on time. There's actually a whole list of stuff that you're supposed to be screening for when you have a child with Down syndrome on a fairly regular basis. Thyroid is one, hearing is one, vision's one. But I mean, again, I just feel like, you know, as the mom, this is just one of those instances where I do what I can and then I just try not to worry about the rest because, you know, what can you do? But I did kind of have to laugh when when we were there yesterday. So Lulu is now three and a half and I'm having her hearing screened for the first time ever. And <laughs> it, I mean, sort of in my defense, I will say that that child probably has better hearing than anyone else in our family. And we know this because she calls out to us from the other room on a regular basis. And not just that, but she calls out to us from her crib on a regular basis. So like she'll be, this happens almost every day that she'll be in her crib and she's supposed to, I mean, she's quote unquote napping for, you know, I'm using major air quotes over here. But basically all she does is she sits in her crib and she tries to listen to our conversations downstairs, which always cracks us up. So like if I cough or if I sneeze or if I do anything, she will yell down the stairs, bless you, mama, which I, I think that Lulu in her mind thinks of that coughing, sneezing, I don't know, clearing your throat, any of those things, those are all basically the same as sneezing. So those all get a bless you from Lulu every time. And you have to acknowledge her or she will keep saying it. So it just cracks us up because like you might be downstairs and you might cough and you might have totally forgotten about Lulu because theoretically she's upstairs napping. And all of a sudden through the baby monitor, you will hear this extremely loud, bless you, mama. <laughs> and it just, it just always cracks us up. But it's like, but she will sit in her crib and basically try to join the conversation that is going on downstairs like i don't think she likes to be i don't think she likes to feel like she's left out or forgotten about so she basically just tries to like oh no no like i think in her mind she's like oh no 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 i'm I'm still here i'm still part of this conversation i'm still part of everything going on downstairs but so that's part of the reason i've never worried about her hearing is because i'm like she, she hears everything i mean again she can be isolated in her room in her crib with the noise machine on and the door shut. And she's actively participating in conversations that are going on in a totally different level of our house. I mean, we've just we've just never had any issues with hearing. I mean, if you call her from the furthest corners of the house, she is going to respond to you. So, I mean, we've never had any actual concerns about her hearing. I, I assumed her hearing would be fine. But, you know, obviously, as she was explaining to me yesterday, you know, there are other things that they screen for that we probably wouldn't know about just with her hearing. So it is good to get it done. But, you know, it is just one of those things that I feel like in real life, sometimes, you know, you just don't get to everything. I, I think it's almost important to know that just that it's okay not to have everything together and not to have everything done all the time. 
Like I, I feel like as parents of kids with special needs, sometimes I can feel like the pressure to just be doing it all and having it all done and be doing everything, you know, perfectly kind of because there's so much more pressure for the child. You know what I mean? Like every, the stakes are always raised. You know, what if we didn't do her screen, her hearing screening? What if she actually did have an issue? Like you kind of feel this pressure that you've got to get everything done and everything has to be perfect because, because the stakes are higher. Because there are things that could go wrong for that child, but at, at the same time, I, I am a big believer in there. There, there is all that, but then there's also just real life, and so sometimes real life happens, and you haven't taken your child for their hearing screening until they're three and a half, and the person questions you about it, <laughs> which she did. She was like, "So why why haven't you been here before?" And I was like, "Um, but see, I I will say that now that Lulu's had her open heart surgery. I, I do feel like I've been given sort of a pass." I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, that um, I feel that I've earned the right to just throw down the heart surgery card basically whenever I feel like it. So especially when it comes to medical things and stuff like that, like I just have no problem being like, oh yeah, well, you know, we've just had a lot of trouble keeping up with things. You probably saw in her medical history that she had heart surgery this summer. So, you know, we're, we're just playing catch up right now. And I basically just blame everything on that. <laughs> Which, in some ways, I feel like there is some truth to that, that it's like, we were so laser focused on her heart and on her surgery and everything like that, that it definitely did push some of that stuff back. And then, of course, speaking of Lulu and her heart and her surgery, I did want to talk a little bit about the fact that this month of February is National Heart Awareness Month. So I kind of just wanted to speak a little bit to that. Obviously, with Lulu, you know, having a heart condition, I feel like you know, this month is meaningful to us. And we I haven't had the chance to talk about it a whole lot just because this month has been so crazy. But um, but it's definitely something meaningful to us. And I've really enjoyed just being on social media and Instagram and stuff like that and seeing pictures of all the other kids who are part of the, you know, the quote unquote zipper club or just who are living with heart conditions or heart defects and just how much it affects those families. Because I think that is a really real thing. And it was something that before we had Lulu, that was, you know, just another thing that I really didn't have any exposure to. You know, there's obviously the whole world of, you know, Down syndrome and special needs and stuff like that. But then there's kind of this whole other world that we've gotten into, which is the world of just kind of like that heart warriors. So, you know, like all of those kids who are just battling with these heart conditions on a daily basis. And I think what some people don't realize is just how much of a daily struggle it is. I mean, we've definitely talked on this podcast about Lulu and some of her respiratory issues and how that did affect us, you know, on on an almost daily basis when she was little. And I think a lot of parents go through that, whether their kids have Down syndrome or not. If your child has a heart condition, you are really living with that almost every day until it's until it's repaired. And most parents go through a lot more than what we went through. Like Lulu had two ASDs, which are atrial septal defects. Um, and those are actually considered some of the lesser, I wouldn't say they're considered lesser defects, but they are considered less critical. And typically, doctors will say that they actually don't show symptoms in the same way that some of the other defects do. So like after Lulu got through some of her respiratory issues, we didn't ever see like her lips turning blue. She never had like the shortness of breath and all that stuff. Like those were kind of some of the common symptoms that we didn't see just because of the type of heart condition that she had. And for those who aren't really super familiar with what it even means to have like a congenital heart defect, like I kind of feel like when people started saying that to me, I was kind of like, 
Uh, what, what does that even mean? But basically, I mean, congenital just means that it's present at birth. And then the heart defect, I think they define it as any abnormality in the heart structure, in the, in the heart structure, electrical system, and other abnormalities that affect the functioning of the heart. And that's from the Children's Heart Foundation, which is chfn.org. So again, like Lu- so with Lulu, she had the two ASDs, which would be those that would be like a defect where there's a hole in the wall of the septum that divides the upper chambers, which are the atria of the heart. I actually had to read that because I feel like it's <laughs> complicated enough that I'm always like, like if you were to ask me to explain that off the top of my head, even though I've read it a million times, I'm always like, you know, it's a hole. I know it's an atrial septal defect, but like to actually like break down what that is. I'm always like, it's a hole in the upper part of her heart that divides the right from the left. But that's about usually like as medical as I get. So thank you to the CDC for explaining that a little bit better than I could. And and for Lulu's, her two ASDs, she had one that was very, very small. And I think it was small enough that they said that if she hadn't had the bigger one, they probably never would have done anything with the smaller one. Like, and then, but then her bigger one was about 11 millimeters, which I think is, I think is fairly big as far as, you know, as far as a hole goes. Yeah. Like if you think about how big 11 millimeters is, like that's something that you can actually measure with your fingers. And then if you think about how small a baby's heart is, it kind of gives, gives you a sense of where all that stuff is. And again, I think with Lulu, you know, other than her respiratory issues, we didn't see a lot of daily symptoms from the fact that she had those two ASDs which again, that, that can actually be really common. And they say, I mean, they do say that for, like, so for many kids with heart defects, I mean, they, they are spending a lot of time in the hospital just to monitor all those symptoms. And then for 25% of them, they require surgery or some sort of invasive procedure within the first year of life. So that was another thing that I noticed that was really different between Lulu and a lot of the other kids who have these congenital heart defects is that we were actually very lucky in the sense that we got to wait until she was three to actually repair it. Most of the babies that I, you know, that I've met either in real life or in online forums or groups that I'm part of, a lot of those babies are getting their defects repaired within the first year of life. Like I actually felt like we were in very much the minority that we got to wait until she was three. And obviously waiting until she's three is always preferred. You know, the older that she is, the stronger that she's going to be, the better she's going to be able to handle surgery. So we got really lucky in that sense. But I mean, but even still, even though I'm kind of saying, oh, we got lucky, you know, as a parent, that is that is a lot to go through. And for those who are kind of wondering, like, I, I know that I've, I keep kind of touching on the fact that Lulu had her surgery, but I actually have never, like, retold the whole entire story the way that, like, I talk about, you know, I might tell the story of how she was in the hospital when she was little or when she had pneumonia or RSV or even, like, telling, retelling when she had the whole story when she had seizures, even though that's, that can be difficult at times. I, I actually purposely haven't really got fully gone into the, you know, like the whole story of her surgery and everything surrounding it, just because I have not truly felt like I could really get into it yet. You know, it's just one of those things that I feel like is still a little bit difficult to talk about, even though it's been, at this point, it's probably been about eight or nine months, I think, since her actual surgery, but it's just, it is still difficult to talk about. And I think as a mom, that kind of stuff is always difficult to talk about. It's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, I, I think when you're a parent, you know, your instinct to protect your child is so strong. And I, I don't want to say it's unique about heart conditions, but I think it's really clear when you're dealing with something like a heart condition is just how helpless the parent is. 
And that's, that's hard. And I think that's really hard to, I think it's hard to go through and it's hard to watch and it's hard to feel. And then it's like, when you add on top of that, not only is there nothing that you can do to, to fix this, but then it's like, you're handing your child over to do this surgery, which in and of its very nature is going to be risky and complicated and cause your child pain and possibly cause your child other related issues. You know, like once Lulu had her surgery, there was a whole lot of other things that could have gone wrong. Now, luckily, none none of them did. Like we did not have a lot of complications after her surgery, but it's like there's a level of awareness that, you know, there's a lot of other things that can go wrong after just because it is such a major procedure, you know, and they tried to set our expectations that, you know, kind of, we, we hope nothing goes wrong. We're not expecting anything to go wrong, but we want you to know that these are some things that could go wrong, you know? So when I was online this week, there was a couple articles that kind of really stood out to me. I mean, and these are, again, these are coming from parents who have been through a lot more than what we've gone through with Lulu, but it still kind of resonated with me because even though our experience hasn't been as intense, like we didn't have a six-month-old or a three-month-old or a three-day-old going through this open heart surgery, I still feel like as a parent, the experience of having your child go through that surgery, it leaves a scar on you too. Like, so it's like, you know, Lulu will always have her scar that everyone can see and that will always be with her. But I feel like as parents, we will also have that scar that that nobody sees and nobody really probably even knows about, but it's like that will kind of always be with us. And one of the articles that I read that was called, I can't get over the PTSD from my child's CHD surgery. She says, people think because the surgery is over that we're all just fine now, almost like it never happened. And that's okay. I don't want my son to be considered fragile or broken. He's not far from it. But just for the record, I'm not always fine. That's what the author says. And I felt like that really resonated with me because after Lulu's surgery, like when people would ask me, oh, how, you know, how's Lulu? Like when her first surgery first happened, people would say, "How how's Lulu? And I would respond like, oh, she's doing great. She's doing great. And every time I said it, like I almost felt like that wasn't completely honest because I kind of felt like that's almost diminishing or dismissing just what this like the effect that this surgery had on her but also the effect that it had on me Um, and so as time went on I actually started to get like a little bit more honest about it and I basically just started telling people like oh she's fine like I'm not fine but she was she's fine (laughs) like I'm kind of like half joking but half not like I don't know just just in the sense that I think it's I think it is traumatizing as a parent to have your child go through that and I wouldn't say that I have true PTSD from her surgery. Again, like her surgery was more on the simple side and we didn't have complications after it. But I think that it actually is really common that parents do have PTSD from these traumatic events. Um, And it's something that I don't think gets talked about enough and I don't think it gets acknowledged enough, but I think it's actually really important to talk about. Another article that I was reading says... She says, I started talking to other parents who had been through the same or similar situations. It was during these conversations that I realized I wasn't alone. All these other parents had feelings like I did. Although none of us had been deployed to a war zone, we were on the front lines of our own, battling for our children's lives. We'd waged war against catastrophic medical conditions that threatened to kill our children. And sadly, some of those medical conditions took the lives of some sweet warriors. And I thought that was really, I thought that was a really good perspective because I think that PTSD oftentimes, you know, when you think about that, you do think about veterans who are in combat situations and rightly so, like that truly does describe them and that should be applied to them. But again, I I think that, I think sometimes parents of kids who are going through these life altering, life threatening surgeries, 
they don't realize that they are also like, I liked the way she described being on the front lines. I think that's really important. Like we are on the front lines and we are fighting, like we're fighting this battle for our child's health and often like for their life, you know, like your, their lives often do hang in the balance. Like I feel like that was part of what affected me so much when Lulu had her surgery was just knowing, you know, that knowledge as a parent that this child, like their life is hanging in the balance and that is scary and it is hard. And so I think for me, just when I think about this month, these are the things that I think about. And these are the things that I think are important to bring awareness to is just, you know, how much these surgeries, especially just how invasive they are and how much they affect parents and just how much that can leave lasting scars. And I think that that's good to be able to recognize. And I think it's good to be able to talk about. So, you know, again, like when people ask me now, I'm like, you know, I kind of a little bit flippantly just say like, oh, no, I, I, I'm not okay. Like, <laughs> Like, but, but I, I, but in many ways, I'm like, I, I think that's actually true. I think that's the most honest answer I can give. And it's like, I don't know if I'll still feel this way a year from now. Probably not. I kind of feel like time tends to heal these things naturally and I will probably feel much calmer and much more at peace. But I think for now, it's okay for me to be able to say, like, this thing happened eight months ago, but I don't really feel like I'm over it because because that that is how I feel. And because I think when you go through something like that, and you don't know how it's going to turn out, I think that does, you know, if, if you're a parent who cares about your child, that is going to have long lasting repercussions. And I, I think that's okay. So I think mostly I just, you know, I, I think just for this podcast and for this month, I just wanted to kind of like, I don't know, I think just kind of talk about it and just kind of honor those parents who might still be in that fight. You know, I feel like our fight with for Lulu and for her health, you know, for now at least is kind of settled. But I know that there are so many parents, there's probably, you know, I'm sure there's people in the picky right now that are still going through that and they're still sitting there and they're still waiting, you know, that kind of unending wait to find out what is going to happen with their child. And there's nothing else you can do but wait. And so it's like, I think to me for, for, February and for for National Heart Awareness Month, I think it was just important to me to kind of bring those people, you know, into the light and just say that, you know, they're not forgotten. So I will post links to the two articles that I mentioned um, on our website, which is specialstory.com, www.specialstorywithane.com. So I will post those. If anybody's interested, you can check them out. And so as always, you can go to the website, you can check out the show notes, you can actually listen to the to the episode right from the website. So for those who, you know, aren't really into podcasts or don't know how to find a podcast player or just don't know how to find the podcast in your podcast player, you can actually just listen to the entire all of our episodes. I always post those on the website on specialstory.com and we would love it if you would, you know, let us know if you're listening. Let us know what you do while you're listening. Um, my sister Michelle said that she actually puts our podcast, she's got it hooked into her Amazon Alexa. So she will put it on the speaker and listen to it like while they clean the kitchen after dinner, which I thought was kind of a cool idea. And then for our shout outs this week, we wanted to give a little shout out to Enable SMP on Instagram, who just let us know a couple weeks ago that he had subscribed to the podcast. So thank you for listening. And I think that's it for today. And we will be back next week and hopefully Steve will no longer be snowed in and will be back with us. So, all right. Talk to you then. Bye.